pre-show quid pro quo. Keats, you get one question. It can be any question in the world. It can be, what's my favorite flavor of pie? Who's my favorite Simpsons character? What book I'm reading at the moment? It can be any question. Go ahead and ask it, sir. First of all, I love how your options okay. are kind of trivial. I'm going way deeper oh, go on this, it. so I apologize. Not at all. It's also, I ran a couple of questions with Miss Mary June, okay. and as, as a casual listener, I was like, what would you want to hear from Douglas? And we decided on... It's kind of a two-part, so forgive me. I'm cheating. Go for it. Was there a preternatural instance or event that helped you on your trajectory within magic? Okay. And the second part would be, is there a magical current that you fear? Uh, Okay. So the first question, was there something that happened before I started doing um, practical magic? Was there something that happened? Uh, There's a ton of instances. The... Uh, the biggest one, uh, I don't know if I want to say this one. It's a bit personal, um, but I'm going to go with number two. Sorry. It's, and it's not yeah, that I don't want to I talk about it. I thought it might no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something, yeah, it's, it's the, the, and I will talk about it at some point, maybe just as a teaser for the listeners. But the second one was, yeah, there, there were instances where I would see things, basically ghosts. It would happen about once or twice a year. And there was another instance where, I was uh, home alone. I was maybe 16 years old and I lived out I lived out in the woods and basically there was a light in the back and I don't know where it came from and I wandered out into the back with my dog and a UFO was just hanging out uh, right over where I was just hanging out there and I stared up at it and for about oh, 5 minutes my dog saw it as well at least I'd like to think that she saw it. And then it just went, just went away. Um, so yeah, there's been all of the what I talked about in the two uh, the two way mirror. My episode, the two way mirror. I had a, just events that I was not able to put into any kind of box, and I and I had teachers that I would I would kind of hint at some certain things, and then they would give me books. Uh, one teacher gave me Carl Jung books. Another teacher gave me Herman Hesse's Siddhartha, and. Yeah, so there have been a ton of things, but yeah, one major event that I will talk about at some point that, um, but not just not right now, I don't think I can couch it properly right now, uh, but yes, there are a whole bunch of things along the road to, to get to uh, before I started to do my practical magic. The second question, sorry, you want to remind me about the second question? Is there a magical current? Oh, that, that... I fear. I could be funny and say sex magic, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'm not fearful of anything. That might have something to do with the experience I'm not going to talk about right now, but it's I'm somewhat fearless as far as any kind of magic is concerned. It's all it's all good for me. I mean, I'm not fearful of any kind of ritual. I think it's it's all seemingly. I mean, it's not the same, but it's 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 part of all the same kind of current. So no, I mean, I, I do demon stuff. I do really dark necromantic, negromantic shit. No, I'm not, I'm not scared of anything. <laughs> I guess I was certain that, uh, there's, there's a, a fearless attitude when it comes to dipping into all this stuff. And it's just, it's good to hear somebody that's so, you know, fervent within all the work mm-hmm. to be like, no, no, we're good. It's all good for me. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. there's really nothing that, that I wouldn't try at least once. Hey, everyone.
everybody. Welcome to What Magic Is This, a podcast that wonders if you even know what you want. My name is Douglas Batchelor, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about magic, the occult, the paranormal, the supernatural, the esoteric, and the weird. And if you've never listened to the podcast before, what happens is that I've got a guest. I give them about 15 topics. They get to choose what topic they want to talk about. I have them on the show. We discuss it. Uh, a lot of the times you'll notice that I do a ton of the talking. Try to think of these episodes as a bit of a tutoring session. The teacher does most of the talking, or the tutor does most of the talking. The student does some listening, but they'll jump in every once in a while. But in this episode, there's going to be a bit more of the back and forth uh, for a good reason. My guest today is Keats. Keats Ross. I'm even going to give you a last name in this one. You, normally my uh, my guests don't want to be on a magic podcast, so I just do the first name, but uh, you're having none of that. Keats, we're out of the broom closet. We're out yeah. of the broom closet, exactly. Keats, how are you, buddy? Everything's good? So, I mean, yeah, everything's, you know, strange, but I, I kind of enjoy it. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. There's a bit of snow here today, and uh, last night was, uh, was Lemuria for me, which is a mm. huge, huge thing. Uh, I love uh, cleansing house of uh, the restless dead so i'm i'm super good super charged to go and uh keats you've got the pragmatic podcast which is a fantastic podcast i love all of the people that you talk to yeah just want to give yourself a, a quick plug here before we get rolling with the podcast because it's a wonderful show oh thank you yeah i think it's different from yours where you're very topic based and very educational i think mm-hmm. mine is a bit more of my own personal praxis and a kind of a grift on being able to talk to people that I enjoy and look up to, especially in magic and art and stuff and getting, you know, some free education such as yourself, as you have been a guest. I I love that. uh, It's a very personal podcast of you. You you did one episode about Robert Anton Wilson, where you had your father on the show. It was strangely touching hearing that show. And it was really, really wonderful for you to put yourself out there like that. And uh, it's not that you were saying anything like crazy or controversial, but it was just like, you could tell that this was very important. So with my podcast, I stay in the background with yours. You're very much up front and that's greatly appreciated. It's really is. Yeah. It's, it's important to me to be kind of upfront and honest about all the trials and tribulations and also the uh, wonderment, curiosity going through this. And I would be remiss if I thought that I could be as educational as you with it. So I just, I just go for it and uh, embarrass myself and have a good time. Absolutely. Wonderful. (laughs) So for people that are unaware, uh, recently I ran a bit of a topic survey on my website. I wanted to know what you guys wanted to hear about. And there was about 50 topics on there and people could click through. I had about 72 people do the survey and yeah, we got some really good stuff coming up. So stick around. And I gave a list of the top 15, I believe, to, to Keats and he had to look through them. And uh, you chose the subject of sigils. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, actually, for some kind of background, the Mm -hmm. topics you gave me were all mesmerizing. You know, I I wanted to think that I could, you know, learn something from you on certain topics. So it was hard to pick what we could have this conversation about. But you actually brought up sigils. Um, Yes. Yes. And I was like, I didn't I don't even think it was in the uh, the actual topics. And I was just like, you know what? That's so prescient. Yeah. For what I'm doing, for what we want to talk about and what I want to hear you say about. So it's going to be wonderful. (laughs) So on what magic is this with Keats Ross sigils? 
So what are sigils? I'm going to read a small little segment here from not a magician, or maybe a magician, you never know. Actually, he might even be the greatest magician in the world. Uh, He's a scientist, though, well, according to some people. (laughs) But his name is Dean Radin. And if you're unaware of who he is, look him up because he's unbelievable. In a book called Real Magic, which was released in 2018, he has a small segment about sigils. And this is his definition of a sigil. A sigil is simply a symbol for a desired goal. It has an advantage over writing because crafting a sigil requires more focused attention than just writing it, and because use of a symbolic goal reduces the grasp of the analytical mind. In addition, after the sigil is created, the magician traditionally charges and then releases it. The charging is meant to forcefully concentrate emotion, intention, and belief on a goal. The releasing is intended to push the goal from the conscious mind into the unconscious. So, that's pretty good. There's so many other definitions of what a sigil is. Uh, My definition of a sigil is basically it is a pictographic representation of an outcome that you desire. Or as another magician, his name is Gordon White, basically calls them wish-granting squiggles, which I absolutely (laughs) love. (laughs) So, what do you basically do with a sigil? And it is a spell is you render your desire into a symbol, you forget the desire, you do a ritual or an activation or a charging, and then you wait for it to manifest. And in my opinion, it is the great chaos magic contribution to the world. Nothing that they've done comes close to the influence of the sigils. I use sigils. Uh, Keats, do you use sigils? Absolutely. I have them tattooed on me. There you go. So many of us that are dabbling in this whole magic stuff, uh, we use sigils. And if magic is a way of affecting your reality and causing change, or if your definition of magic is probability enhancement, sigils are one of the best techniques for seeing this in action. Am I going on a limb here? Perhaps it is the most popular kind of spell in the West and has been maybe for the last 30 years. I would say also, you know, if we wanted just to dumb down kind of magical praxis in itself, it's creativity, right? I think there's a perfect medium between, you know, putting true intent or your will's desire in an artistic representation. To me, sometimes it feels obvious. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. And the other thing that is wonderful about sigils is that they are an excellent vector to get into practical magic. They're so easy, well, seemingly so easy. Uh, We'll get into that in a little bit. It's a wonderful way of getting people started with magic. So how do you do it? I'm just going to give a really short Coles notes here. First of all, you start with a statement, something, and this is an example that I'm going to use throughout the episode. So let's say my statement of something that I want to have happen in reality is, discount or free food every time I eat out. All right. (laughs) You write that down on a piece of paper. Again, there's other ways of doing this, but this is tried and true method. You write that on a paper. You get rid of all of the vowels in that sentence that you wrote down. You get rid of all of the repeating letters, and then you turn those into a symbol. You kind of simplify the W looks a little bit like an M and then you just start to change it and you come up with something that looks somewhat pleasing to the mind. It looks primitive or it looks... It's a badge. Yeah, yeah. But it has to look good to you. And then what you do is that uh, because it's a desire, it's something that you want, a statement of desire, uh, you have to forget about it. Mm. You have to try and put it out of your mind. 
which is tough. And then eventually what you do is you have to activate the sigil. So there's many ways of doing this. But sometimes it's a ritual. Sometimes it's other stuff. We'll talk about it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> eventually what happens is that then you either dispose of the sigil or something else happens. And then you wait. You wait, and then eventually it will come true. And if, if if people are new to magic, they're coming at this for the first time, you might very well be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You draw a stupid little doodle, and then you expect it to have real results in reality? Yes, that's exactly what it is. So, with that, we're going to go into a little bit of the history of the sigil. And where the hell do you think that we're going to start with sigils, Keep Egypt. Oh, no, we got to go by way further than Egypt, way further. So let's start with what is probably like the first drawing that we well, we know of, that we have archaeological okay. evidence. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so cave drawings, that is evidence of what is called symbolic thinking. And uh, some of the oldest cave paintings that we have in South Africa, uh, Southern Africa, they're from 50,000 BC. BC. That is a long, long time. This is probably somewhat contemporaneous with the rise of what we consider consciousness. From there, Keats, yes, I say we go to Egypt. And uh, we're going to go to the Greek magical papyri, or the Papyri Grece Magicae. If you have a copy of it, and you go to PGM segment XXXVI, have a look at some of the figures that are in the PGM. They look very, very curiously familiar. I'll just put it that way. And it's crazy when you look at this, but what you have is that you have words and figures blended. Now, this is not sigils proper. You can't say that this is sigil magic, but what you do have is the shape of sigils starting to come out there. And some people might be saying that I'm overstating my case Am I overstating my case? I, I will fight you on this. We will have a black-handled knife fight if you want to come at me with this. But truly, I think that the the uh, the PGM is about as far back as we can go for for actually seeing sigil magic. It, before the PGM was written, you also had a lot of the Hebrew alphabet, and they would make shapes from the Hebrew alphabet and whatnot. This was going on at the time, and it's still going on, uh, truthfully. We have to understand that for a, a period of time, from the PGM up until uh, from the 6th to like the 15th century, people were blending words and symbols. You see this a lot in uh, Byzantium. Uh, you see this in Arab image magic and things like the, the Picatrix with their talismans. Uh, you see this in the Higromantia and certain technical hermetic texts, things like Chironides. Yes, eventually you get to the 16th century and you have a ton of grimoires coming out, books of magic. You have the Keys of Solomon, also called the uh, Claviculas. A lot of the pentagrams and the symbols within the, not all of them, but uh, there's a few, uh, they actually date back to a earlier text uh, called the Sefer HaAtot. So that's something really interesting to look at. Of course, we have to make a pit stop with Agrippa, uh, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. I've talked about him. There's an episode about him. Uh, he used a camias. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I, I camias, don't, yeah. I don't care if I am. There you I go. I mispronounce it too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> basically uh, squares of, of letters or, or numbers, and then you can start to fiddle with them and get strange. This is when Arab image magic starts to get blended into what is called natural magic. And I'll explain this again. Natural magic isn't like you're doing magic with the 
rivers or the streams. It's it's taking the stars and the things around you, they're God's will, and that, that's where the magic comes from. Uh, from Agrippa, you also get what's called the Passing the River Alphabet, which is uh, uh, notorious through uh, <laughs> half of the Witches' Books of Shadows that came out in the, uh, the 90s. Anyways, interesting. Look it up. Also from Agrippa, or maybe, you have the fourth book of occult philosophy in which uh, he has a segment in the very beginning called On Magical Ceremonies, where it is generating the characters and images of spirits. If you have this book, go there, take a look. Starting to look very, very familiar. Again, we don't have the technology for sigils yet, but things are starting to look uh, like they're taking some kind of shape. Skip to the 19th century, you have some magical orders like the uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Uh, they would use what was called the Hermetic Rose Cross, and in the center of that was a rose petal, and each of the petals were a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then when they would craft uh, images from Hebrew words, uh, they would draw a line between the Hebrew letters, and then you get a weird-looking uh, sigil-like thing. So getting even more familiar. Uh, we have to remember, though, that uh, the Golden Dawn got a lot of their stuff, if not most of their stuff, from Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. Crowley was once asked, you know, what what was the inheritance or what was the, the great contribution to magic that the Golden Dawn had, and he just basically said, it's all in Agrippa. So uh, heed the words of Uncle Al there. Let's get on to the big dog, Austin Osman Spare. Now, I'm very fond. Keats, you're you're very fond of Austin, are you not? <laughs> I mean, not in a deification sort of way, okay, but yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, so here's the thing. And a lot of books of magic, specifically ones that you'll get in like the 90s, they say that he's the creator of sigil magic. I'm going to tell you this right now. I've read everything that he has written. Anything that he actually wrote and was somewhat published, I have read it. You're not going to find sigil magic in there. I'm sorry. Like, not as we know it. What we need to understand about uh, Austin Osmond Spare is that he was huge into the psychology and the unconscious. Psychology was somewhat new when he was around. This was uh, very early 20s. 20th century, uh, late 19th century. And he came up with what was called the alphabet of desire, which are incredibly interesting symbols. And this looks like proper sigils, but they were a way for him to try and talk with his unconscious or work with his unconscious. And they're very interesting looking in one of his biographies, uh, his biography, basically by Phil Baker, uh, somebody came to interview him and was said, well, what are these things? And he said, oh, this is my alphabet of desire. And he's like, oh, that's cool. What does this mean? And then he would tell him, and then what does this symbol mean? <laughs> Spare would say, I don't know. I forgot. I have no idea what that symbol is. I, it's, <laughs> it's for my unconscious. Anyways, what we need to understand about uh, Austin Spare is that he is not an idiot at all in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> he is incredibly smart man, uh, and he is an artistic genius in my in my estimation, and becomes more apparent as the years go by just how artistically gifted he was like he was naturally talented even if he was not an occultist and i somehow stumbled onto his work i still think he would be one of my favorite artists ever his stuff is crazy good it's really interesting he was friends with a gentleman by the name of kenneth grant there's going to be an episode about kenneth grant in the future uh, he kept the ideas and thoughts of austin spare alive after austin passed away in the 50s and uh, there's a couple of segments in what he was writing about um, orgasm and strangely using jars to make things come true anyways. <laughs> but uh, through these writings, we hit at the 70s and we get chaos magic. 
Chaos Magic going to get their own episode. Trust me, just wait. Uh, Chaos Magicians, specifically in England, they were all about results-based magic. And they were really the first postmodern magical order. The order of the day was playing with belief and how belief can enhance magic or was all belief based uh, one of the books produced in the 70s was a book by ray sherwin called the book of results but i don't think that the sigils really hit their stride until 1987 and the publication of lieber Knoll by peter carroll there's a segment there just says sigils and it's only three paragraphs long basically and a diagram as to how to do them it's right there. And that's it. It's out in the open. It's for the world now. And Sigils, he he has three. And this is something that when I recently opened it, because I haven't read Lieber Null in years. Uh, the book is called Lieber Null and Psychonaut. He doesn't just go through doing the whole sentence to symbol. He has uh, the words, which is what I went through. But he also has starting from a picture already and then blending that picture down. And he also has um, mantrical, which is creating a mantra. And I forgot about that. And I don't see a lot of people doing stuff with that. Uh, anyways, Sigil set Chaos Magicians apart. And in my opinion, they set them ahead of the, the pack. And until about 1995, 1995 was a good year for Sigil Magic, specifically with the release of Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine. This book was like a meteor hit Earth for me. Like this was the book I finally found my my Chaos Magic book. And uh, I'm shocked that I didn't go back when I switched into doing whatever austere Golden Dawn Crowley nonsense that I didn't remember Condensed Chaos because it had a huge, huge effect on me. But uh, you love Condensed Chaos as well, Keats, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic yeah. Phil Hine, you know, he followed me on Twitter and I felt complete. You had that thing too, right? He, yeah. I, I, I literally when I uh, when he followed me on Twitter, I was I was at work and I, I it's like I had to take a I I did have to take a moment. Like isn't was, that funny? Yeah, it's just, I, I know how like you know what a passive interaction it might be yeah. for him, but it meant the world. It, it was like Genesis Peorage uh, retweeting, reposting some of the stuff I did on facebook it's like yeah. i know it's not much for you but this feels good yeah. <laughs> man so yeah i i literally had to excuse myself I was like, excuse me i'm like phil hine followed me on twitter like i don't know what's going on yeah. highly, highly suggest condensed chaos uh, read that but the other thing that happened in 1995 which was quite incredible, and I think that really blew the doors open. There was a Scottish gentleman by the name of Grant Morrison. He was a comic book writer. I know my last episode was about Alan Moore, and all 70 of you who sent me emails about do a Grant Morrison episode, I will calm the fuck down. Just uh. I will, everybody. Just Yes, I'm very well aware of who Grant Morrison is. Okay. Uh, he had a comic book that was called The Invisibles. It was out under Vertigo Comics. And in 1995, it wasn't doing so well. And the people that were running Vertigo said that they were going to cancel his comic book, The Invisibles. And in the November issue in 1995, in the very back of it on the letters page, Grant Morrison runs you through how to create a sigil. And he has a small little sigil there, the little symbol itself. But he went a little bit further. He said, hey, guys. Thanksgiving night, uh, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to hold this image in your mind, and then I want you to masturbate, and then we'll see what happens. So what Grant did is that he said that this sigil was for people to start 
buying his comic book and cottoning on to what The Invisibles was. And yeah, it went out into the world and The Invisibles was not canceled. It ran till the the very end and there you go. It's a, it's a trick. It's, magic is a trick. And some, the thing with the trick is that sometimes it works. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Grant Morrison a bit further up in the episode. But he is notorious for creating what is called the hyper sigil. And that is a long term project of sigilization through your art to create your reality. It's a very interesting thing. A dynamic miniature model of the magician's universe. There you go. Couldn't have put it better, Kate. Thank you so much. At the tail end of the 90s, uh, there was something called Disinfocon, in which all of these writers that were working through a company called Disinformation, which, uh, Keats, you actually worked for Disinformation, did you not? I did, yeah. It was uh, checked off the list. Yeah. You know? Fuck, man. Uh, but yeah, the, the Disinfo Book of Lies, which Graham Morrison wrote the introduction pop magic to, yes. and he basically lays out Austin Awesome Spare style of sigil. Uh, creating and stuff which you know i think we both fell in love with his anarchic you know maybe 18 sheets to the wind thing at the disinfocon where you know magic works exactly but that was it for me like i I have talked about it on your podcast that was where i went holy shit is this real can i write a goofy squiggle and change reality after that it's been 16 nearly 17 years for me that I've been undoing this this whole crazy magic stuff. But yes, DisinfoCon, huge. In 2003, Book of Lies by Disinformation. In 2010 to about 2012, a Australian blogger by the name of Gordon White released several articles about sigils, and uh, he introduced some new techniques into sigils, which we will talk about at a later time. This was called shoaling and robofish. Yeah. So, yeah, he had to come up with this because, in his words, he was stuck in London living with a whole bunch of other people, and you can't really do crazy summoning and evoking of sibyls and things like that. So he had to rely on going towards sigil magic, and he would start playing around with sigils. He has done other work within magic, but it is what he is known for is is his sigil techniques. And uh, in 2016, he produced a book called The Chaos Protocols, in which... Yet again, but with a bit more detail than what Grant Morrison did in 2003's Book of Lies lays out how to go through sigils. Man, it's really good. You should definitely look it up. In 2018, as I mentioned earlier, you have Dean Radin, PhD, releases a book called Real Magic, and he goes through sigil magic. And if you have a copy of the book, uh, there's a sigil in there. I don't know if you guys know that. So if you have a copy, please flip through your book and try and find uh, Dr. Dean Radin's sigil. And that brings us to now. So they don't look like they're going away anytime soon, Sigil Magic. And uh, I'm, for one, am, am fine with that. I'm doing it. Keats is doing it. Everybody and their cat is doing Sigil Magic. Um, people <laughs> are running Sigil Magic courses. Uh, this is indeed a great thing. And I don't know if you'd agree with me, Keats, but sigils are kind of one of those words or terms or phrase that even people that have almost no idea about uh, practical occult magic, they know the word sigil. It tends to be people between the age of... Um, 30 and 40 like they they do know oh, it's a sigil or something like that so there was a prime 90s kind of movement yeah i think disinformation had a lot to do with that obviously you know comic books and yeah. phil hine and all that uh i can give you an anecdote though Dude. how interesting it is 
to me today. So, you know, my partner, Miss Mary June, she she teaches these kind of interactive, magical, like artisanal classes for kids. Right. And she has been teaching them the way to break down, obviously, without the masturbation. Masturbation part. Masturbation. I love it. Masturbation. But she's been teaching these kids and they're they're taking light to it. And I did that too when I was uh, an instructor of the quote unquote school of magic at this place in Portland. But it was supposed to be more of a cosplay kind of silly stuff. But there's more movement to like really teach these kids, you know, kind of fundamentals. And I think sigils are the perfect fundamental. Absolutely. I would agree. I would definitely agree. So one might very well ask, how? How? (laughs) How? Well, we don't really know at this point, but uh, here we go. Symbolic thinking. I think people need to think a little bit more about about symbols themselves. It's a very human attribute that we have. There are, this very new science, there might be signs that some animals, such as octopus or octopi, and horses, actually, of all things, might have some capacity for symbolic thinking. And mm. we have to understand, symbolic thinking is not tool-making, okay? So, like, when people think that chimpanzees, they must be able to do it. It's like they use tools. Uh, there's still some very new studies being done as to whether or not they are capable of symbolic thinking. But symbolic thinking, very human. It probably likely came into effect around 100,000 years ago. We have small pieces of... Uh, certain objects like uh, shells and whatnot that have etches into them. And these would have most likely been made by Homo erectus. So that was like one of our precursors, basically. Uh, But yeah, give or take, we don't really know, but give or take 100,000 years ago. I I want people to just sit with how extraordinary it is, symbolic thinking, that we can think about something that is not actually what it is, and it becomes that to us in our brains. And it is something that we take for granted in our brains or elsewhere. Just had to throw that in there. But I've come to the conclusion, and this is not some world-shattering, pretty much most magicians know this, symbolic thinking is magic, period. That is the initial magical impulse, is symbolic thinking. It's a universal language, yeah. Correct, correct. So symbolic thinking is magic, and it hints at a different almost unseen world basically and one of my uh, my magical heroes is a gentleman by the name of Ari Schwaller de Lubitsch and he was big onto symbols he he loved ancient Egypt and he spent a lot of his life in Egypt he was also an alchemist uh, if you're going to pick up his books they're a little bit hard to read but stick with it uh, I suggest reading a biography called Alchemy first before uh, tucking into uh, his work but uh, he has this thing called symbolique uh, which is a very toothsome prospect but it is very interesting it's it's basically that the symbol isn't what you think it is it is much more and it probably means more than one thing than what you actually think it means and i'm going to read here from dr aaron cheek uh, he's written a lot about uh, schwaller Delovich, but he goes into symbolique in one of his essays i will put it up in the show notes schwaller's concept of symbolique involves the perception of the eternal origin through the medium of transient phenomenon Against conventional symbols, which are merely arbitrary associations, Schwaller defined a true symbol as the physical effect of a metaphysical cause. 
More than this, he defined the symbol as that which magically evokes, and thus expresses or manifests the metaphysical principle that created it. In every function, remarked Schwaller, there is that moment that cannot be situated in time that I call the present moment. It is this esoteric moment with which symbolique is concerned. At the root of this conception is the idea that every phenomenal thing is formed by a specification of energy into a perceptible form. This process of specification is described in terms of a will, or seed, i.e. a specifier, that acts upon the unspecified energy or milieu in order to create the resulting form. The specifying power is frequently likened to a fire that coagulates, again he talks a lot about alchemy, an uninformed substance into the nature specified by the fire. All volumetric expression, i.e. all expression that gestates in time and space, originates for Schwaller from the interaction between the fire, will, or seed, and the substance upon which this fire acts. The result is a specified form of phenomenon, which is the living symbol of the metaphysical interaction that created it. Please, please, please rewind that, listen to it again, and read the uh, the essay that I'll have up on my show notes. There's a lot that's going on here a lot a lot but the idea that there's a physical effect that then creates a metaphysical cause could sigils themselves be metaphysical causes as a physical effect so much to ponder here there's this entire idea of artifice when it comes to it that it's it's separate of the self yes that it's it's completely despondent but uh you know there's a lot of people that will tell you that it's a psychological trick right right it's it's speaking to the subconscious and try to get you to kind of corner yeah a stasis in a way exactly but you know we'll get into this later absolutely (laughs) waste the quote What uh, Keats was talking about there is is very correct. So uh, psychology, and uh, when I say that symbolic thinking hints at an unseen world, for a lot of people, they think of the unseen world as being the unconscious, right? So they like to see it as, as something that is, let's use the iceberg metaphor. So above the water, you can see the iceberg, it's there. But underneath the water, there is just an enormous amount of ice. It's, it's, it's five times larger than what you see above water. That was the unconscious. And yeah, so we have to start to think with that, that metaphor a little bit. Austin Osmond Spare. He said that magic is manifested first in the unconscious mind, which only understands symbols and emotions. The point of a ritual is to distract the conscious mind so you can surreptitiously deposit desires into the unconscious where eventually they will manifest in some way. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there, and we have to understand that... uh, psychology when Austin Osmond Spare was uh, was still alive was very it was very primitive it's much different than it is now mm-hmm. and a lot like the chaos magicians a bit further up down the line they were also informed by the psychology of the of the day so we always have to when we're looking at magic see what was their worldview or what context that they were creating their magic from this is very very important Um, i I love that idea though of consorting these dark movements of the self right it's trying to figure out a language to tether what your ultimate desire is even simply yeah and so consorting with the subconscious yeah it, it was primitive i think when spare said it but i think 
chaos magicians then fold like ran with that yeah absolutely it's all about tricking the subconscious and that you you hit the nail on the head there that's what the chaos magicians said about sigils it is a trick it is a trick but the thing with the trick is that sometimes it works (laughs) so but we have to understand again these are models the way to try and understand this there's so many models that we can have Uh, people that know me or have listened to the podcast know that i'm really big on a book called time loops by dr eric warco time loops are basically is the events in the present have some kind of effect on the future which then change and have effects on your present and it just creates some it's i'm oversimplifying here but it's just there's constant time loops and this gets misrecognized as clairvoyance or psi effects and this kind of things now i'm just looking at them and be like huh are sigils us tying knots in these time loops or is it us creating these time i think it's a way to break through to another cycle yeah yeah so it's really strange time loops reads very differently to me when i start to play with this idea i don't even know what to think and probably uh dr eric warco would try to slap me upside the head if he could be like what the fuck are you talking about douglas ask me again in six months my my thoughts will probably change but another model could be that they're somehow postcards to the future i know a lot of people are huge into uh, quantum physics and they'll throw in words like um quantum entanglement and yep 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 so (laughs) many hows as to how sigil magic works and no matter what model you throw at it what how you throw at it the psychological are you somehow petitioning the spirit world is it quantum physics are they time loops the explanations on how highlight the versatility of symbolic thinking and sigils in a way the how is almost inconsequential yes yes or exactly it could be the most important thing, depending on where you go with it. It, it is magical, no matter how it works. Uh, if it's a trick, then sigils seem to strike at the heart of magic, plain and simple. But we have to understand, this is less than 50 years old. This right. is very uncharted territory for us here. So well, we have to tread carefully, but it is interesting nevertheless. And besides interesting, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I'll just say well, that. Well, here... Here's a good question as a weird segue because I, I don't think they're that young in the sense that, you know, and this might be a platitude, but I think intentional creation of art right. is a sigil. And we'll get into the hyper sigil stuff later. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that maybe these formations of intent and desire have always been there with us right so i think there's there's just crazy words and names and currents (laughs) for it and everything but when it gets when you get down to it you know it really is like making an album or painting a a picture absolutely no i I think you're entirely correct there and yes we will we will talk about hyper citrus because that definitely does go to the to the heart of the matter for there so what are some of the preferred techniques or the element of sigil creations. We're just going to break it down here a little bit more. So, of course, you can't start unless you have a statement and a desire. While raised in a culture of want, especially here in the West, most of us, we have no idea what desire is or what it is we actually want. And I'm not talking about, I want a nice watch or I want that new TV. Desire is different than want. And what sigil magic does is that it really 
allows you to get to some kind of self-honesty with yourself. And the creation of the statement, uh, in my opinion, is the hardest part. And for people that are new to magic or sigil creation, it really is hard. Of course, there's the things, the small things that you want, but true true desire is, is very different than plain want. What you should do when create, creating your statement uh, and desire intent, uh, they should be manageable yet still ambitious. And Here's what I want people to think, especially if you're new to it, uh, new to this. If you've got something big, like uh, you know, a career change or something like that, do not create your statement that I have this job or something like that. Think of or it. It's out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Gordon White says something like, uh, "Don't attack walled cities," kind of thing. <laughs> so, what you need to do for something big is that think of it as a Lego creation or a Lego castle that you've built. You want to sigilize for each one of those Lego blocks, and it seems like there's a lot of them, but you have to stick with it. So what are the blocks that you can use to build up to the thing that you really, really want? So think about it as breaking it down and finding statements for those small things. I want this new career, okay? Well, then you're going to have to maybe sigilizing for meeting interesting people in your field at parties or new suit, the small blocks on the way to building the structure itself sometimes i have to make sigils to figure out what magic to use yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it gets it gets that in the minutia yeah. of of all the mechanics so absolutely uh, you want with your statements to for them to be somewhat open and non-specific so i'm going to use the example that i had earlier so always free food or discount when i eat out see that is somewhat open uh, at both ends and it is not like I only want when I go to McDonald's to get um, free food. Right. Do do something like that, all right? So uh, please try to stay away from affirmations like I am I am good looking or like I'm always honest. Like just <laughs> please, the universe doesn't fucking care. It, yeah. it, it doesn't. It doesn't stay away from the affirmations in most instances. I want people to think because... And I'm indebted to uh, Mitch Horowitz for introducing me to Neville Goddard. But for a period of about three months, I've just devoured anything online about Neville Goddard. I don't even think he had a Wikipedia page when I f- first started looking him up. But uh, uh, Yeah, Mitch definitely championed him uh, full throttle. And his yeah. stuff is great. But it's amazing. he's big into new thought, which is the idea that thoughts are causative and you what, it, what you think can manifest, which sounds a lot like sigil magic, does it not? Uh, but he says that uh, you should live from the state of a wish fulfilled, right? Your statements, when you come up with sigils, do the same thing. Don't sigilize for, like, I will find a car. You already Act have like it. you already have it. You yeah. have that car. Yeah. Exactly. So go with that. Uh, one of the things that Gordon White was big on and creating was something called the robofish. What he was gleaned from, from that was that... Every once in a while, you would throw a, uh, at an aquarium, they would throw a robotic fish into the fish tank, and then the fish would start to move around because it was somewhat odd and kind of out of place. The fish decided to follow the, that fish's actions. They, they started to do that. Uh, what you do with a robofish when you are doing sigils, uh, especially if you're doing more than one sigil, we'll get into that, is that you create something that will come true very quickly like within like an hour after charging it for me when i do some rituals uh i will have some ice cream or something like that sigilize for eating ice cream like something like that so that it's kind of a way for them 
your unconscious or however the fuck this works tries to follow that and it sees that as oh okay this this one that. came true yeah let's let's try and go there it's brilliant and it it works splendidly so again if we're thinking of of magic especially sigils as some kind of probability enhancement instead of sigilizing for stupid not stupid something like sex i want to have sex Try to go for something. I always meet interesting people or always meet interesting outgoing people, right? Chances are your probability of having sex will increase if you are meeting interesting outgoing people. Well, here's that kind of dark rub. With the probability idea, it's just for your trajectory, but, you know, trying to affect or come into somebody else's to do that is just meaningless in a way. You know, maybe yeah. a little bit selfish. A little bit selfish. Yes. It's odd. It's odd. Central magic. There's a morality to it. There is. There certainly yeah. is. But magic, uh, if anything, is is a bit selfish, especially sigils. But uh, mm-hmm. there there is a way of being smart about it when you're crafting your your statements and your desires. I want people to realize that you have to get this part right. And there's there's ways of getting it very wrong, but there are ways of getting it right. And once you do, it's like riding a bike. Like you just you just automatically go there and you just you're crafting statements just left right and just they're all over the place. You have more statements of desire than you know what to do with, but you have to do this. And again, you are not asking. You're not asking, "Can I have this?" Please. You are telling. You are telling the universe or whatever is making this happen that this is how it is and i'm just going to finish with the statement says everybody please knock it off with the it is my will to or i might like just knock off that bullshit please that is some stupid 19th century it's like you're trying to tell yourself you want it fuck man just enough 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 second part of the uh, the process forgetting for me this is the most important part of of the sigil creation something that you really want you have to try and forget and that is why think of the lego blocking is a good way of doing this uh, because you you know in your mind what your ultimate goal is or your big thing the smaller details that's where the magic is it's right there you had so this is where the quote from mm-hmm. schwaller comes in yeah. and i think this this says it all the symbol as expression of will, it's uh, one must know how to disregard the vehicle of the idea in order to consider its motivation alone. Bam! Which book is that from? Swallow's Temple of Man. Temple of Man, yeah. Yeah. Great book. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Have to read but that's, that says so, I mean, that said everything to me. Because, yeah. like, there's this big, you know, idea, this reoccurring notion that you have to forget it. You have to let it go. Yeah. Leave it alone. Yeah. You put all this power into something. Just let it go. Just let it be its thing. And I thought that was a beautiful sentiment Absolutely. about it. I have to reread that. It's it's actually his longest book, I believe. But yeah, it's there's some great stuff in there. But to go back to Mr. Gordon White, uh, he has another thing that he introduced to the world of sigil magic, which is called shoaling a shoal of fish. So instead uh, of just doing like Grant Morrison, like having one sigil that you will activate, have a lot of them, have more than one. When you do your activation, like a school of fish, you're shoaling through these, these things. So overwhelm in numbers. That's part of the key to forgetting, I think. And Gordon says, before you do your activation, uh, just treat them like a sourdough culture. Like you're constantly feeding the pile of statements that you have, just keep going. And then, and yeah. uh, then when uh, eventually that you, you do them, you have something to go towards and you will 
literally eventually forget what the hell those sigils are and what the desire is, strangely enough. Uh, I myself, I try to have, uh, I, I do about one statement a day. Sometimes they're garbage, but I have a box and I have a little sigil box. Mm, sounds sexual. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> I just throw my, once I have my statement and I have a little thing and then I put them down onto another piece of card. And then eventually when I do the ceremony, I will draw them. But I have like 50 sigils and some I probably want sooner than others. Too bad. Don't care. I don't even know what they are. They just look like symbols to me. So do something like that, but you will eventually forget, and this is a very important uh, part of sigil magic. Not discussed too often is uh, timing. Mm. So it's not really considered a part, but I, I think it is extremely important. A lot of people do their magic on a full moon. That's cool. Uh, I'd say go further with it. There's astrological timings that you can use. There's saints' days. There's pagan festivals. There's grimoire timings. <coughs> there's special anniversaries. There's fortuitous days. Anything, anything, anything. Just find some kind of special timing for which you will do the activation. Uh, just do it. It's, it's magic. There is no just cause. That's all I'm going to say on that. Would you agree no. at all, Keats? I would. I actually, you know, uh, the thing that set me on this recent trajectory is I did uh, the totality of the eclipse in 2017 in August. Right. And uh, part of the praxis was, you know, making a sigil for what the coming days would be and every intent that I put into it. And then I would do, and I still do, it's different now. I kind of relinquished that sigil because it's, you know, three years ago. So. Right. It has a cycle. But what I do is uh, I make sure to, uh, in my morning practice, I I draw the sigils on my hands so that they deteriorate through the day. And they just keep remembering kind of like to draw them, even though I have them tattooed, (laughs) some of them tattooed. I forget what they actually are about. I just know like a generalized Mm -hmm. word, you know, this one is love or whatever. This one's creativity. This one's finances, but I forget <laughs> what what the uh, right. you know the actual manifestation. I hate to use that word. Yeah, Forgive me. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> the actual intent was right. You know, for these things, everybody's got to get their favorite part of sigil magic. For me, not favorite, yeah. not my favorite, but the part of the process that they think is the most important. For me, it's it's literally the the forgetting. Like you you have right. to forget this shit. Like as great as statements are, statements mean nothing. Right. If you can't fucking forget about it. Years of drawing certain things or even new ones, I forget what they mean. Yep. I'm just just the process of writing them on my hand and I've talked to, about this in length <laughs> that I need some sort of ink that deteriorates yeah. during the day. And <laughs> you know, I had a good friend tell me about, you know, uh making temporary tattoos hey. that would just rub off. I like it. You know. So it it's a process, but I think that's the most important part. Yeah. And maybe this is part of belief or faith Mm -hmm. or some idea of just letting it work that I'm not so concentrated on if it lasts, but I'm more concentrated on writing it in the first place. There you go. I like it. The other part of the uh, process that we need to go through is the ceremony or the ritual for activation. There are so many different ways of doing this. There's the uh, tried and true way. Uh, we'll talk about it but yes it is known as activating uh in Lieber Knox sorry not Lieber Knox Lieber Null apologies no, yeah. yeah there's trance there's orgasm 
There's elation. Pete Carroll said that in times of great fear, anger, embarrassment, intense frustration, or disappointment. For me, I think that a bit of ceremony is in order, especially because with with shoaling is that once you do the activation process, uh, you have about um, six to ten of the sigils that you will go through to activate at one time. Uh, I was kind of doing something, it's not like I thought of it first, uh, but I was kind of doing something like that. Uh, I would do five sigils at a time, but you have a, a group of these sigils, a, sh- a shoal of these sigils, you should do a bit of a ceremony for them. So with the ceremony, it is Liberty Hall. It really is. But I say should be a little bit smart about it. And if you were playing in or with traditions, please be respectful of them. Of course, everybody knows what magic interests me. Uh, the, the Greek magical papyri. Uh, I do a lot of saint work specifically, uh, especially with sigils. I will do stuff with Cyprian, St. Cyprian. A lot of grimoire. Uh, grim, some of my grimoire ceremonies have actually been the most... Uh, uh, fortuitous i'll just definitely say that uh, these are not devised for sigils this magic was not devised for sigils but with careful planning uh, they can become nearly perfect and i, I think for me uh, my my go-to if if it's not cyprian it's going to be pgm rites and rituals and i, I go with that but uh, i suggest it for everybody please try to think a bit more about what you were doing when you were activating them it's not just that you're kind of getting yourself into the mood right and it's gnosis Right. There you go. And, yeah. and but don't not make it a thing, right? Please with the activation, it is a process you need to go through. And more than that is do you really want this shit to come true? Self-honesty is what sigilization is about. Do you want this? Great. Guess what? You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to put a little bit of effort into it, right? Do that in the activation ceremony. And you'll know what feels right when you finally land on it. You really will. Uh, go with that. If it moves, follow it. There you go. Uh, last but not least, we have disposal. Now, Kenneth Grant said uh, about spare that spare said destroy, uh, destroy the sigils like right after the ceremony, just burn them. Uh, I say please don't uh, unless you feel that it is what you you need to do again at Liberty Hall to go back to Gordon White again because he shocked the game. He really did shock the sigil game. He were, came from an advertising background. It was his job. He was in advertising and marketing. There's a thing in advertising called low attention processing and that is how they advertise to you just by having their logos for what they're trying to sell or their ads in areas that are of low attention they're not specifically on billboards but they just might be in the corner of a window a shop window or something like that so this is very important so what he and i highly recommend this i really really do my house is littered with low attention processing sigils after i've activated them you just put your sigil in a place that you are not going to stare at them, but they're off in the background, and they just kind of stay there for a little while. They kind of cook. And if it is the psychological model that you're going to go off of, which is almost where I mostly land, my how is like psychology, spirit, time blending. Anyways, that's neither here nor there, but um, definitely have sigils once you've activated them put them around the place low attention but uh, eventually you sh- probably should destroy them in some way uh, there's there's places uh, to dispose of them if you feel if you feel bad about littering what i suggest is to to burn them first and then go to the place you want to dispose of and then put the ashes there you could also make a ceremony itself of the burning of the sigils uh, i remember one year i would uh, i burnt my sigils on the day of giordano bruno being burned there you go you know 
and a lot of them worked. They were pretty good. I'm just going to put one small caveat here. If if you're like me and you are you enjoy the darker part of magic, necromancy and nigromancy, and you want to use a graveyard as a disposal place of your sigils, I'm just going to say this, and I'm not going to get into details. Be very very careful. And and give an offering. Yeah. Besides, I've got a relationship with two very close cemeteries for where I live, and I've been going there for more than six years. I have a very special relationship with those places. Uh, don't just think that you can dispose of a sigil and put it in somebody's freshly buried grave and put. Do not do that shit, please. Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple of things uh, to do with sigils because that's there's really no other place to go for sigil magic, but uh, there's definitely plenty to talk about. We have to start with the thing, the thing that the thing. Everybody knows the thing. <laughs> Uh, masturbation. So, sure. Some say to charge the sigil, hold it in your mind, you masturbate. At the point of orgasm, it somehow locks in your mind and then it co- goes into your unconscious, right? Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. My very first sigil, sigils, this is what I did. I went from oh damn no, yeah, gives gives oh, yeah. new gives new meaning to uh, to pop magic, if you will. Yeah, um, but it's uh, the easiest. I think it's that, or you know, if you could do that with a runner's high. But come on, mm-hmm. you can't really do that. I think I think climax orgasm is the easiest way to put it. It put is it right in there. It does seem know? like a little bit of a waste of a wank for me. <laughs> um, just put it that way. It does work, uh, but I will say for a time. For a time, right. it works, but uh, it is one of the things. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Yes. The working for a time brings us to what is basically called the amateur effect. And this has been talked about by not just myself, but a lot of magicians. It's it's what happens when you are playing a game that you're not good at. It could be tennis. It could be uh, you're playing pool. It could be you're playing darts. Uh, you've never played it before. You've played it very sparingly. And then you're playing against somebody who is very good at this game. You play this person and you win. You don't just win. You destroy the other person. You're like, wow, I'm really good at, at darts or at billiards. I'm fantastic at this. The next game you play, you're just as good. Wow, crazy, shocking. I, I, how is this possible? Your third game is terrible. You're thinking about it. It's bad. You said that this is it. You're trying to get frustrated. Fuck this. I can't stand this. You tried it again and then again and again, and you're just as bad. You, you're you terrible, and you just give up. This happens. This is what's going to happen to you. I'm just going to tell you right now. The, the efficacy of your first, like, 5 to 20 sigils, they most likely, most of them will come true. Uh, they will happen. After that, you have a cooling down period. You really, really do. And we could talk about the trickster effect, if you will, but of, of magic. But there is something really odd happening here. I just want to say, keep at it, everybody. Uh, you, yeah. you will get better. Things will work again. Again, I was masturbating for the sigils, and it stopped working. I didn't get frustrated. I switched something up. And that's when I think I started doing the five sigil thing and I had a bit of ceremony to it. And it's like, oh, it's just right back to being effective again. And yeah. So, well, I think like with anything, magic is an evolutionary process. I think it, it maybe has showed you, hey, this works. Keep at it. Yeah. 
keep changing, keep doing, keep refining. Right. And I, I think that's the only way it keeps working is yeah. that if you, you know, really experiment, really try, really bring something new. I mean, as we age, it's like an analog to that. We change physically. Yeah. Like the magic we use should change physically too. Yes. You know, if you if you if you're trying to just decipher the variables and yeah. and get everything kind of cornered into a perfect praxis that you can use over and over again, you're missing the point. It's a creative endeavor. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're you know, if we were even thinking about subconscious or unconscious, it it'll learn the tricks. Yeah. It'll get the tricks. Yep. So you gotta keep tricking it. You, and actually, that's a really good way of putting it, Keats. Yeah, you have to keep tricking the tricks. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm taking it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the check is in the mail. <laughs> I appreciate that. I need it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Don't we all? Do sigils get to the heart or the core of magic? As uh, we've been saying, we've been using the word trick quite often. And that whole divide between magic when you tell your friends you're a magician oh show me a trick give me six months and i'll have something manifest but i'm not a conjurer sigils definitely get to this and i, I want to maybe divert a little bit but a new thought and uh, sigilization and magic they, they kind of go hand in hand and one of my magical heroes a gentleman by the name of mitch horowitz you interviewed him twice on your show Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big, a big hero of mine. And- uh, Mitch Horowitz, because uh, New Thought is his biggest thing that he that he goes for. Uh, he says that you don't need to go outside of the rational to make things happen. He's big on New Thought, which is that your thoughts are causative. Uh, he says that you don't have to take this strange, circuitous route to do these weird symbols to make stuff occur. In a way, sigils, it's not exactly a a counter-argument, but they do make a very good case that perhaps there is more to this than the direct route. Uh, Mitch has said, basically, that he did do sigils. None of them worked for him. Uh, He said he just had a problem with forgetting uh, the sigils. Yeah, and with somebody that works so diligently in a new thought where it is desire yeah. and you know he tells you to believe to believe to yeah. believe and to, yeah. to really understand the trajectory and want it to look at a piece of paper every morning yeah. say the, with a list of like what i want what i want what i want i totally imagine that sigils did not work well for him no it's different strokes for different folks kind of thing right. i think but yeah that's why i love the anarchic aspect of it you know i think this all is we've talked about this deeply it's a potpourri of recipes right that's right whatever works for anybody whatever works indeed sigils are seemingly highly irrational so i could get why mitch would would say such a thing i maybe want to say this guys definitely give this a shot mitch has something called the 10-day challenge instead of uh, sigilizing for the blocking of a big thing that you want to have happen, maybe do a 10-day challenge for something that you know you desire and you want mid-range, kind of within the probability of of 30 to 60% chance of it uh, coming true. And please uh, do give the 10-day challenge a shot as well if you're doing sigils too. It's tricking reality in some strange heuristic way. Yeah, that's like that's the kind of the point of the pragmatic sort of idea of magic, right? Right. It's that, you know, there are some dark moves there. There are moves of the self that are untenable Mm -hmm. until you really talk to them and understand them. That's why New Thought, you know, or at least what Horowitz, you know, is in Harvey is doing 
with new thought, kind of reforming it, making an understanding that people that are dying or sick, it's not their fault. There's some right. outside bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's but never yeah, just it's... one thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, the first practical spells, should they be sigils? Uh, for me, it certainly was. I was 20, going on 21, just on the cusp of 21, and uh, and I was a virgin. I'll just couch that with the, the fact that I was a virgin. Uh, what was my first uh, sigil spell? Uh, it was for sex, and it definitely, it worked, and, and not in like something was going to happen anyway. It came out of the fucking blue, and meh. Uh, who knows? Uh, yep. I would say that uh, it's a good demonstration of the odd effects of magic. So I wholeheartedly say that if, you, if you're if you on the fence about wanting to do a practical magic spell besides things like cleansing your house or uh, certain rites or the lesser banishing ritual of the uh, rosy <laughs> something. Anyways, I say... Sigils are a wonderful way to get into practical magic because they, they do happen very fast and they're quite striking. And it's it's a good way of being like, oh, bingo, something is actually happening here. What the fuck? So, uh, May I give you another anecdote? Yes, absolutely. Just a, qu- just a quick one. Oh, we I have all in, the time in the world. <laughs> I was in the third grade yeah. and I was, a, I was a great student, but I was a bad apple. <sighs> and uh, I can't even my, imagine. Uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> my class went to go play dodgeball outside and i had to stay behind and i was reading stephen king's it i was like third grade yeah oh it was terrible but i was so angry at my teacher that she wouldn't let me go outside and i don't know if this is like it's just always been in my brain but i knew to draw a pentagram okay and then they did a doodle of her eating shit you know sorry if this is uh for kids or it's definitely not for kids (laughs) (laughs) all right we're talking about masturbation but i did a doodle of her like eating shit trying to catch a a dodgeball Mm -hmm. or whatever it was a kickball sorry kickball yeah i don't know sports but i did this doodle my friend was laughing and i kind of drew her in this pentagram i don't know why to this day i don't know why i thought the pentagram was something i would do you were in third grade yeah, third grade. Fuck me. I don't know why the <laughs> pentagram was the thing. You're Stephen King. Anyways, anyways, she comes inside. She's all muddied up, and everyone's talking about how she ate shit and, like, yeah. missed the kickball. There you go. And stuff. I remember looking at my friends who were also kind of in detention, like, oh, shit. Magic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a wizard. Yeah, but that was that was kind of Amazing. what set me off of like how important and how messy this stuff can be. Yeah, I guess even though that was you know I don't want to be a conductor of coincidence, well, but yeah. <laughs> it is quite strange and something weird happens when you activate whatever symbolic thinking is and you really stick at it. Things happen; they really I, do. I hate that I thought that the pentagram was some sort of like satanic hex, though. <laughs> That's how young I was, you know. <laughs> I love that story, Keats. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I'd say give Sigil Magic a shot. Please, please, if you're new to magic, just get off the couch, the armchair, whatever people are saying that you're on right now. But uh, yeah, give it a, give it a try. Uh, what do you bring to the table? Uh, this has more in line with the ceremony activation element. The things that interest you, you can bring that to the crafting of the, the sigil and the symbol itself. So what interests you? I know a lot of people love 
I'm just going to say the more hands-off side of magic, things like tarot cards and mm-hmm. and astrology. I'm not calling anybody out in any way, shape, or form. I use tarot cards. I use astrology. Like it's, I'm not calling out, but it's it's a little less like mm, involved. Use yeah. that. Bring that to the table when you were crafting your your statements and your sigils. So. Do you like Norse myths? Go heathen. Do you like Egyptians like me? Throw some Egypt in there. Like go, go forward with that kind of stuff. And it's another reason why sigils are so unbelievably awesome. Is that what you bring to the table actually amplifies what you were doing? And that's magic. That is magic, pure and simple. What do you bring? How do you utilize it? And how do you make it work? That's your evolution, as as Keats uh, wonderfully put it. That is it. It's really not. This stuff is not hard, guys. It's a lot of work. But it's not hard. And you know what feels right. As I've said before, if it moves you, follow it. Yes. Go if it that. sings to you, sing. There you go. Yeah. we got to talk about something called sigil bleed. And a lot, of oh, people, yeah. a lot of people don't really know what this is. So could sigil bleed be very well the end point of magic, the ultimate goal, if you will, the philosopher's stone, if we want to get alchemical. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say that this happens to me a ridiculous amount of times and uh, because I'm a great magician. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> but it is what happens is that uh, before you, you have your statement, but before you even put it into a symbol or what happens often with me is that I will sketch on a notepad and it's like a really crude sketch and then when I do my ceremony that's when I put it on uh, like black card with with paint once I have the the first statement uh, symbol sometimes and a lot of times for me the thing even before I've done the ceremony it'll just come true before I've done anything it's just oh there you go you've got what you had this this literally happened to me four days ago I read a lot I have a lot of books and I need a new bookshelf of course what do I do I like to sigil for items I find sigiling for items especially magical tools I talked about it in my magical tools episode it's a good way of using sigils it just it bulks up the shoals so it's small items I'm not asking for a Corvette I'm asking for things that I don't have or magical tools that I need created a statement I need a bookshelf did a little something something uh two days later I was just at my friend's place I don't know we're all supposed to be on quarantine but shh quiet everybody <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh yeah just sitting there and he said uh, we're moving some stuff around you want a giant bookshelf absolutely i will definitely take it this happens to me with sunglasses this happens to me with like even really strange things so uh sigil bleed is that the point of magic could it be that just the thought of you thinking something can cause it to happen strange right so it's like a retroactive causality right because you've already like thought about it maybe like put that in to the subconscious maybe you've already worried about it but the act of actually focusing it into something makes it jump start it yeah. that it's already happening yeah. i don't know i love it yeah it is incredibly odd has it happened to you before i've never done it with uh material items okay. Okay. and i'm i'm like an idiot i'm thinking now hearing your stories i'm like why haven't i done this <laughs> <laughs> when i could easily you know get some things that i really need but uh Absolutely. i've i've done it with um kind of exceptions in work and in home and and all of this like uh i did one with my dog going to the vet okay and i was really worried about him and you know i did this thing about you know he's he's gonna be fine whatever blah blah blah. but he was already fine showing up yeah you know so he was pretending to cough or something like that exactly yeah exactly (laughs) to get attention he he smoked too many cigarettes god 
Take we had dogs. to get them figured out. Yeah. Man, what can you do? But yeah, Central Bleed is interesting. I actually have a demo of a song that I did through the audiomancy stuff and I, I talk about it in the song about Sigil Bleed uh-huh. and how like I'm not sure who's moving who with right. intention. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if I'm just picking up on something and being able to document it yeah. or it was already documented and here I am singing about it. Absolutely. There's so much to think about with this kind of stuff and it is in some way slightly maddening, especially for somebody like me who who does uh, a lot of uh, spirit work and whatnot. Sometimes you have to wonder, am I calling the spirit or is it calling me? Same thing with sigils. It's like, did I create the sigil or did the sigil create itself? Like, Did did that thing already put itself there? Uh, uh, I have no (laughs) idea. It's, it's, I love that though. That's the wondrous and, you know, curious nature of all of this. I think we should, we would do better to celebrate that of not, trying to understand the variables so much lean into it is what i say yeah lean into it uh retroactive sigils right these are fucking awesome and uh pete carroll talked about it i think he mentioned it slightly in uh libra chaos i forget if he is in the uh or epoch uh, but basically what you do with a retroactive sigil is i put it shortly is fuck my past self up and yeah, and it's interesting. So, and it's more evidence for the psychological model of sigilization. But what you're basically doing is that you are changing past something that has happened to you. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see the results of it. There's a couple of caveats that uh, that Pete Carroll says. It's like, don't do it for present circumstances. Like, if you're if you're having depression issues or anxiety issues, and then you're like, I'm gonna retroactively sigil for that time when the bullies didn't bully me, and uh, don't do that. Like, it really should be something that is not just for you gaining confidence, but something very odd happens, and I'm, I can't even fathom putting a finger on it but it is very odd to do like some some small i'm trying to think of a a good example like i was a child actor i i did retroactively sigil for um, an audition that would have like changed my life that i didn't get i did not retroactive sigil for that and just seeing what happens to your your brain i guess but could be anything what happens afterward is very interesting it's very odd and it's so didn't you carry with that, that, you know, I hate to use the term, but like the vibration of if that actually went down, you, yeah. you know what it felt like? Yeah. Uh, it was, no, it was yeah. weird. It, trying to think of the best way. It was like something had, uh, this seems so, so trite and just no, I obvious, love it. but it's like a weight was lifted. It's like, mm-hmm. you don't need to carry that anymore, Douglas. Oh, it's the guilt one. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've, yeah. I've found that specifically working with um, moments of shame. And mm. uh, it's very helpful. More evidence for that psychological model. But I highly suggest retroactive sigils. Have you ever done any retroactive sigils? I actually have not. No. no. And the, I knew about them, obviously, Pete Carroll and stuff. But, like, I always wondered. I have some bad, you know, I have some I have some red on my ledger, yeah. as it were. Yeah. And I've always felt like. bad apple, this... I heard. From yeah. The, from your <laughs> yeah, teacher. Bad apple. You're a bad apple. <laughs> But is it going back and kind of rectifying the memory of such? So you're you're yeah. comfortable with the memory I don't of the that. idea because you can't go back and no. rectify the experience, right? No. So it has to be maybe like your interaction with the memory of it. Yeah. I don't know. It's very odd. Know. And yeah. uh, I've only done retroactive sigiling for about 
eight years. It's about half of my magical career so far, and it's very odd. And I do use retroactive sigils to, uh, again, add to that sourdough. It's just more. Just keep doing more. Retroactive. Do just So do explain to me, like, are you doing that to kind of help? Yeah, you said shame. I mean, that's yeah. a big buzzword yeah. for that. Is that, like, helping you move through it? I the think retroactive so. sigils? I think so, yeah. In a way, yeah. yes. Oh, really? And I'm, I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> but, yeah, I love this idea. I really do. I love, like, getting your inner turmoil kind of centered yeah. for past stuff. I yeah. know. Yeah, I've never done this. Yeah, I love this. It's worth giving a try. And and specifically, because I, I know of situations where, especially with shame and, and, and guilt, things of guilt that have a great deal of, of effect in my life to this day. And like real actual, like a 30 second thing happened where I did this and I sigilized for the, that, that, that did not happen. And is it just me trying to make myself feel better? This feels different than that. Cause I have, I've more than half my life. I have actually worked through talk therapy and trust me, this feels different. It really I'm does. I'm so interested in this. Yeah. I am deeply interested in this, especially if it's a way for you to kind of see yourself as a person that handled it correctly and maybe live with the idea that like it was just an instantaneous mistake and here is what it feels like and I'll move forward with what it felt correctly. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. That's never, never worked with it. You got to give it a shot. Let the fans let the fans know. Yeah, let the fans I know how many. it goes. Oh, but it, it's inexhaustible. Like it's it's literally if like, okay, something's coming up. Uh, I have to get a shoal going, and I'm kind of running low on sigils. I just go into my past and I bulk up that thing. Like, and it's 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 almost one of those where it, ways where you can, in some small way, use it as a robo fish. But I also suggest having a robo fish in there. Like, I really, really do. But some would say, Doug, this is just delusional. You're being delusional about things that happen to your life. But guess what? Sometimes a delusion is useful. We have to really understand well, this. And oftentimes, you know, that shame is always at the forefront of your mind. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. So if you can figure out a way to give it reverence but also move on. Yeah. Because, you know, there is, I think, a time limit on shame well, for some things, <laughs> yeah. you know, where you don't need it anymore. No. So move forward but still give it reverence. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I love this. Yeah. No, and uh, time heals all wounds, but sigils heal wounds too. I'll just put it You're that right. way. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you can stick it on anything. It's like duct tape. It's the great magical duct tape. Um, with the Alabama chrome. There you go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Alabama chrome. Yeah, it's, it's in the South. It's anyone right. that puts duct tape on their car. Oh. Call it Alabama chrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to take a second. <clears throat> All right. Wow. I can't, to my mind, think of a situation where I've actually done this, but this seems to be your jam. And f- forgive me if I'm being presumptuous, but uh, uh, hypersigils. Can you explain to the people what hypersigils are? I guess it has to do with intention, right? It's hard to delineate or retroactively say that something is a sigil, I guess maybe if it wasn't intended to be. And I'm like up in arms about this. I'm not sure that's the case, but I know that going with Graham Orson, the hyper sigil is a dynamic miniature model of the magician's universe. Right. And so I see that in records. I see that in videos. I see that in pretty much artwork. Right. And I don't want to 
be a gatekeeper and say, well, if you weren't a practicing magician, mm -hmm. you didn't have a hypersigil. Right. But I think there's something really important about maybe some intent in trying to reach a metaphysical idea or you're using metaphysical tactics mm -hmm. to do this thing. And so to me, hypersigils have been by a like entire trajectory within music and and art and writing. Right. You know. So I have a difficult time because I don't want to exclude anybody, but I also don't want to include I see. <laughs> <laughs> The, yeah. the the biggest example of, of hypersigils was the guy who basically came up with the word was Grant Morrison, comic book writer. Uh, he right. had a series called The Invisibles in which uh, one of the characters in them was basically him, Grant Morrison. King Mob. King Mob, exactly. Yeah. Also, I'm just going to say this. If you have not read The Invisibles, you have to read The Invisibles. Like it, yeah. it is a magical book. Like it's, there's going to be stuff in there that's a little bit rough towards the end. It gets like, what is Grant? Okay, Grant. But <laughs> um, it is a pure magic book. But Grant Morrison, he had himself as a character in there. He said, well, what if I start doing things? I don't have a girlfriend in real life. I'm going to create a girlfriend for the character that I'm writing in my comic book. And then he started to notice that a lot of women would surround him that looked a lot like the character that he was trying to get the two characters to to go through so he said this is interesting so he turned his comic book into what is called a hyper sigil which is incredible stuff again i haven't really done it uh but there's a there's another side to this uh he started to write that his character king mob had some really crazy uh shamanic illness, uh, illness. yeah, yeah. And then that actually happened to Grant Morrison, where he became incredibly ill and he nearly died. Yeah. And so uh, hypersigil is basically like a long form process where what you are creating in your fiction or in your art, it starts, you, you actively make it an activation ceremony as you are creating it to have it cause change in your life. And yeah. So if I can... I don't know. Be blunt with maybe another anecdote. Uh, the last record that I made uh, under D Dakota Slim Cactus Crown was my process of uh, wooing kind of the partner that I have now. Nice. And it, but not like just for that. It was being very like intentional about heavy things and talking. Like I didn't think that it would win her over, but it was definitely about that process. Right. And it's in and of itself is like the most important work I've done because it became a sigil, right? It became yeah. the, the, the love sigil right? or whatever for it. Yeah, it's it's very important to me, I think, when thinking about hyper sigils that there is some underlying desire, right? right. There's some underlying intent of wanting to uh, create or maybe change. I'll say change. Change. Because I think change is yeah. far better than create. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But something that you're, you're speaking like to the willows about, like something you're screeching to the sirens about, just please yeah. help. And you're doing it through music or art or whatever. Can I um, play devil's advocate for a second here? Sorry to hijack. Of course. Yeah. Uh, isn't that just art done well? So, yes. Yeah, so I often argue with it. And I don't know what came first. My idea of treating art as sigils, I think uh, there is a separate 
beast of thinking of like of intention and this could be argued but i think like the intention is of making this sort of dynamic model of desire right when people make great art yeah that's probably a sigil too but i think there has to be maybe there doesn't i don't know but (laughs) for me there was a whole charged affect to got it what I was doing. No, I love it. And, and I do, and again, I was just playing devil's advocate. Um, but, uh, but it's like, okay, so it, it's not just making an album about trying to woo somebody. And, uh, right. But it's just like you, you actively set out this. Well, I'll, so I'll put it this way. Mm-hmm. So the cover of the album is, I started working with Santissimo Muerte. Nice. So the cover is my actual altar. Okay. okay. And if you look at it, because of the candles that were going it looked like a skull. It's just, it's so weird how everything worked out. Mm-hmm. But it had everything to do with every part made sense as this huge, overarching artistic testament right. to something. Yeah. But, you know, not to say that any concept record isn't mm-hmm. high procedural, but I do believe that there was some metaphysics involved. Got it. When I was. You know, we would hang out in the graveyard at Lone First Cemetery. Oh, oh, and, my heart's yeah. breaking. No, no, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, no, seriously. That is... <laughs> but, you know, there She's was, the like, really, the I one. was really just giving up to, yeah. I love this. I'm just going to put myself through this and understand it and figure it out. So, yeah, I don't know what the specifications are <laughs> to what is art and what is a hyper sigil. Right. But I think to me it is intention and right. saying that my intention of this was to be a metaphysical artifact of what I was doing at the time, who right. who I was working with at the time. And like I, I had never been more magical in my life during this. Right. As like and I don't know if it's a form of desperation, but it was just a very conscious routine and working with these outside things and it became this album. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's one is not in the other. You know, who knows if uh, Love's Forever Changes isn't a concept record that's yeah. a magical record. Right, I right. think it is. Yeah. But I don't know if it's a hyper sigil. You know? <laughs> I think mine is just because maybe the intention was there for metaphysics. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could, it's not that I would be lying to myself, but my podcast, in a way, I could bend as being yes. a hyper sigil. Like, again, yeah. it's like, oh my God, Phil Hine <laughs> added me on Twitter. Right. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> so, and I'm glad you brought that up. And, you yeah. know, like, it's kind of the reason why I enjoy you so much. It's like you see the, I hate to use these terms, but like the egregore yeah. of this idea. Yeah. You know, going with sigils like this, this group think of you are learning or you're being able to express deeply yeah. your ideas within this thing. And I think pragmatic is I joke that it's a it's a hyper sigil. Right. But I think it is. Yeah, I absolutely think it is like it keeps me constant. It keeps me fervent, keeps me up to par with understanding where I am in things, how small I am with things, yeah. how enjoyable I find things, how scared um, I am with things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. If a year ago you would have told me that I would have some conversations with the people that I'm having conversations with now, I would have laughed in your fucking face. Right. Yeah. It's and, the great grift. Yeah. 
and it's <laughs> unreal. And that that wasn't the reason that I'm doing the podcast, but it, in a in a way, it kind of is the reason I'm doing the podcast. Strangely enough, but yeah. If you promise me that uh, that you will do some retroactive sigiling, I promise I will. I will create a hyper sigil. I will do yeah. some kind of hyper sigil. So we'll we'll shake hands over the the wonders of Skype, uh, Keats, and uh, yes, let's let's go forth. There we go. <laughs> we both shook left hands. Um, I yes. know, right? right. <laughs> Typical white person. Uh, what can you do? <laughs> Not to solely what has been said, but your your podcast, I guess, your hyper sigil has been completely invaluable. Yeah, it's been incredible. You you know you've really taken a light to forgetting all the elitism yeah. and the you know bullshit uh, yeah. rapping yeah. of a lot of these uh, quote unquote occult podcasts. And what I love is that you always have a hand open to people that are new to it. You want to tell them, hey, don't be scared. Just do it. Just it do works. It. Yep. it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Keats. That's very kind of you. <laughs> So I will do a hyper sigil, people. Uh, stay tuned. There will be some kind of... I, and truth be told, I have been kicking the idea around for quite a little while now. But uh, in a way, I think I kind of already got one running. So we'll see. It kind can of, be anything. It can be anything. You know? Yeah. Uh, shit, it's, it's a short form fiction that I'm working on. It's, mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, we should talk about this more later episodes. But <laughs> I'm really trying to calculate what makes it a hyper sigil. And I think that maybe... It is intention, mm-hmm. but then again, I'd hate for everything to just be intention, and things should just react as they would right. and be. It's you yeah. know, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. That's the, the <laughs> wacky world of sigils. It's nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other materials. So, yeah, a lot of people think that it just has to be on pen on paper or paint on paper. But here, again, Liberty Hall. Think about branching out i'm i don't know identify i'd say i am an animist i i enjoy uh, things that are more earthy uh, some of my best sigils are from tree bark and i will use uh, natural inks instead and i know that seems like a really uh, you're just doing the same thing but in a different way uh, yeah i am doing the same thing in a different way guess what it fucking works so am i getting the results that i'm looking for that is the most important thing yes exactly other things that you can use coins i've used coins before and those are those are wonderful uh, put a little sigil on the coins drop them in a fountain that kind of thing don't drop them at like the zoo or anything like that <laughs> just like don't be an idiot that's, that's, that's the other thing uh rocks specifically uh river stones definitely incredibly useful especially with uh, if you if you have a problem with littering for your disposal Stones are a really great way to go. Use a non-toxic ink. Uh, my absolute favorite is, uh, besides paper, is using clay, specifically clay that I have gotten from the earth itself. It's much easier to get clay than you think it is, people. And the method of disposal with clay is wonderful. It is an incredibly tactile disposal, uh, specifically if you're crumbling it in your hands or my absolute favorite way of disposal is I hold it in my hands at a running river, hopefully with clear water, and I just watch the, the clay disintegrate in my hands as it goes. And that is, that's a chef's kiss. People can't see it, but that's a chef's kiss. But go go nuts with what you put your sigils on or, and how you do this canvas, anything, anything. You know that crazy like magic paper that you can just rub together? And it, yes, oh my yeah, God. yeah. Yeah. You're combining the worlds of magic. <laughs> We're now doing stage right. and ceremony. There we go. Ah, yes. Somebody get Penn and Teller on, on line one. 
doing the illusion and dispelling the illusion. There you go. Love it. Yeah. But again, guys, Liberty Hall, go crazy with it. Really, go nuts. Go absolutely nuts. If you have papyrus, go with that. Like, really, go as much as you want. Just go with whatever you can. Yeah. Like, it's just. There's something so powerful, especially if you're just getting into it. And we talked about the amateur effect. This one's going to hurt in a good way yeah. or in a bad way. The first one's going to really knock you off your socks. Yep. But then it's trying to tell you that, like, hey, this works. Keep going. Keep it. Yeah. Keep the evolution of it. Yep. Because the next one, the next one, next one's not going to feel the same. Nope. So. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. With that, we got to talk about uh, wanting too much and passivity. Mm-hmm. So, and with this, I don't want any specific one of my listeners who has reached out to me to to feel like I'm targeting them in any way, shape, or form. I have many people that have come to me with this, specifically about people that are starting out with magic, and they're they're basically saying, "I'm doing some of the things you might have suggested, whether it's uh, ancestral work or whether it's PGM stuff," and they're saying nothing's happening. Nothing is happening at all what is going on and uh, i have to say there is such a thing as uh, lusting for results which is very it's tough because especially when you're working with sigils and this goes across not just sigils but to magic they will see a problem and they'll be like the spirits will solve it for me not just with sigils, think about the Lego brick analogy that I used. If there's a big situation and it's causing you harm or it's something you want to accomplish, work towards orienting your magic towards those Lego bricks, right? Your magic is only one force among many, many forces. And as great as magic is, it can't solve absolutely everything. Desire is different than lust. I want you to understand that. I want everybody to understand that. Desire, you can feel it. And I I don't want this to sound trite as well. You can feel it for sure. It is like a wind at your back. And it is some place that you know you need to go. The things you want to have happen in your life. You know it's there. Uh, You just have to find that desire and not that want. And then you set your sails in that direction. You know desire when you feel it. And the other thing to realize is that these things take time and they take a lot of work as well. And if you're sigils themselves, the reason that they're great is that if you're starting out, a lot of them work almost immediately. And then you have that down time and then you have it coming back again. But with other things besides sigils, it takes time. Ancestors aren't going to hear you immediately. Your grimoire spirit isn't going to show up in front of you the first time you put a circle on the floor, right? The first time that you stare into a black mirror, you're going to see nothing. I'm just going to tell you, it is work and effort that is very, very important, if not the most important thing about magic. But continue to orient towards your desire and don't want it too much. And specifically with sigils, passivity, especially in the point where you are doing the ceremony of activating or charging them, is very important. Keats used the word gnosis earlier on. That is a good way of of thinking about it. Meditating before you're doing your ceremony and just kind of having as you're going through it to activate them, whether it be through staring at them or whether it be through meditating on them or entering into a trance state, you don't want to be sweating out your desire. You want mm. to be able to be taking things in. So uh, passivity and desire. 
I think this is the this is the hardest aspect yeah. of it. Really? It's absolutely the hardest aspect of it. I think yeah. for people that I talk to about doing it and how it works and just to make a really crude analogy, there are people that are looking for a girlfriend, right? Right. Friends looking right. for a girlfriend. I know What's I am. What's the one mistake that they're doing, though? Because they're obsessing about finding a girlfriend. No, you got to let that go. You let that go. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And like, and that's the hardest thing to do. It really is. So it's not, it's not just like a walk in the park of trying to figure out how to, you know, let go of these intentions and desires. But I think that's the entire point of a sigil is that you put it there and then throw it away. So it's just gone. Bingo. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Absolutely. That is it. You do it. You dust off your hands and you continue with your day. That yeah. is why I think the forgetting is the most important part of sigils. It's like you, you have to get this right and then you have to be passive. And then eventually they come, right? Things will come and it's really tough to explain. But I understand that a lot of my listeners would be like, I don't know why nothing's happening. So, yeah, I, w I ran into this rub, I think, when I was on Lighting the Void. Everyone wanted to hear how I did Right. Or how I came above and how I how I fixed everything. And it's going to be different for everybody. And it's like I'm definitely not a person to listen to about <laughs> how to do things. But, you know, I think the most important part is that we are so hardwired to obsess. Mm -hmm. So just release the obsession yeah. and do that with sigils. Yeah. And it's so hard. Like, it sounds easy coming out of my mouth. But I really believe that. If we were to be taken to our tenfold idea of who we are, it would have a lot less to do with what we want. It would have everything to do with what we need. Bingo. And that's the issue. Yeah. yeah. Austin Osmond Spare used to have a prayer that he would say every day. It says, God's grant me this, that I have little and I need nothing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is the hard part, too, especially within this. I thought this would be a great compendium or like an addendum maybe to your symbolism mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. And the issue is I think when people are, are listening, and I know you have these two, you have people listening like in desperate places that, what do I do? How do I do this? That's a very stark place to be as someone that's giving knowledge to all of it. And I really feel the hardest thing to hear is stop wanting it. Stop so there's got to be something, mm -hmm. something better about, I don't know, but there's got to be something better than stop wanting it because I think that's, that's the hardest thing to learn. Keep doing it. Yeah. But keep stop doing wanting it. it. That's it. Yeah. Be somewhat passive about it. Right. I'm not huge into uh, Eastern mysticism or, or Buddhism. I, I love it. I think it's austere and beautiful. I know enough about it. It's not like I can't learn more. I'm, I'm sure that I will at some point definitely go that way, like hardcore for a period of years. But there is something to be said is like, just, just let go of certain things. You really have to. And I know that sounds really Jedi master, like, but. That's it, what I'm saying. It's like the hardest thing to hear. To, you have the to. hardest thing to hear. Yeah. And when we're talking about desire and want magic, it's tough. It's tough. It's mm -hmm. tough. It's tough. Go for a medium sized 10 day challenge and you can orient yourself with some, some form of, I wouldn't say obsession, but a form of want. A form of want for sure. And, you know, Lord knows that we haven't seen the mature wits of 
upheaval of the 10 day like hey i did this it didn't work and it's yeah. like i'm sure there's tons of them probably more so than the Good. ones that actually try again work. yeah exactly Good. and that's that's the did point. you learn it's anything like, try not, again <laughs> i hate to say you're not doing it right because right is inconsequential Correct. that's dumb you're not doing it right <laughs> <laughs> I know you and I know kind of what we're talking about, or at least I, I hope that we we know what we're talking about. But I just say, great, it didn't work. What did you learn? Try right. again. That's it. Yeah, I love try again. Just try you know. again. Uh, we have to leave off with the discussion part of this uh, with uh, careful what you wish for. So for my example, my very first sigil, again, it was to lose my virginity. I know that I'm going to be coming off as a giant loser. I'm totally fine with that. 20, 21 year old Doug was, uh, he was a hurting unit as we say in Alberta, but Doug is clean. Yeah. Um, there were repercussions to that want and that desire, huge repercussions. Now, And with my example as well of the discount or free food, every time I eat out, guess what the other side of that means? That means you're going to have oversalted food. You're going to have ruined food. You're going to get food poisoning, right? So you really be careful about what you wish for. But at the same time, it's a tightrope because there are things, there's two sides to absolutely everything. You really have to be honest with yourself and you really have to be able to figure out what is the best possible outcome for my desires. So some of my bigger long shot sigils that manifested, I came to regret them. I really, really did. And I didn't cure them with some crazy retroactive sigil, but I am thankful that they happened nevertheless. I really am. So be mindful of what you desire, but don't not desire it. Go there. Right. Yeah. I guess stop wanting. Where to go, guys? Because that's the sigil episode. Where to go? Austin Osmond Spare. I would say no, not really. As much as I love him, uh, he doesn't write anything exactly about sigils. And he's a bit of a weird writer anyways. When I was in London last, I picked up the Book of Pleasure in plain English. And even still, that is like hard to understand. But It's pompous. Yeah, he's, he, writers like Austin and Aleister Crowley. And Aleister Crowley. <laughs> a lot of people look into his work as like, he's some great genius. We just have to decipher it. No, he was writing to himself. He was writing yeah. to himself. He understood what he was talking about. We're not meant to understand what was going on yeah. in these people's minds. So Let's dispel all the pomposity. Sorry, please. guys. I don't want to yeah. burst that bubble. But and, and Crowley wrote a ton. Anybody that says that Crowley is like, he's a lazy, hedonistic man. Crowley had a puritanical work ethic. He was... <laughs> always working he yeah was, the amount of things he wrote is staggering but it made sense in his mind leave it you there. know diary of a drug fiend was uh very seminal for me especially getting over drugs back in the day what a weird book i look yeah. back now where it's just the celebration of just hedonism yeah like yeah. terror it's you a, know it's a weird i guy. guess it, it made me gross <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Lieber Null. It's worth getting. You need. I, I will say this. I think that all of Peter's books are worth getting. Some of them, especially Epoch, is very expensive. But uh, I think that Lieber Null itself. It's there's only three paragraphs about sigils in there, basically, and a diagram. It's still a wonderfully fantastic slice of chaos magic. It really is, and it, except no substitute. That is pure chaos magic in, in that book. Yeah, absolutely. The Coyotes, Coyotes. Uh, Phil Hine, uh, Ray Sherwin, and uh, Grant Morrison for sure. 
definitely. I think the field has kind of moved on a little bit, but there's still as a document to see, specifically the earlier written uh, Book of Results by Sherwin. It's interesting to read. It's definitely an, an artifact of its time, but it is still really cool to, to have a look into. So go there as well. There are tons of contemporary books about sigils. I'm going to give you just a couple that I think that rise above the rest of them. Adian Wachter's got a book called Six Ways, Approaches and Entries for Practical Magic. It's wonderful. He goes through sigils in that, and he's got a very idiosyncratic way of using sigils. He knows what he's talking about. You, When you come across somebody that actually you know that they did what they were doing, something like Communing with Spirits by Martin Coleman, it's not really his name, but you know when somebody's writing from pure experience and not just being like, hey, 50 spells for every week kind of thing. Like You, you definitely know when somebody's written. Adrian Walker's Six Ways is probably the best example of a contemporary book that you can go for for sigil magic. Definitely head there. And he's also got a book coming up. I think it's a different book, but he, he keeps hinting at something called A Book of Sigils by Adrian Walker. Maybe that's something that'll be released online. Look for it. Um, when it comes out, I'll tweet about it or something like that. But uh, look out for that. Adrian Walker, fantastic. Right now, Gordon White. For my money, Gordon is the go-to person. Uh, there are several articles on Rune Soup that I will link to. They're very good. Uh, his book, The Chaos Protocols, a whole chapter called Wish Granting Squiggles is about sigils. It goes through his process quite well. Uh, he has a course on his premium membership, and I am a premium member. Gordon is not paying me in any way, shape, or form. I don't even think Gordon knows that I exist. If you want to get sigils right, this is the course you have to take, like have to have to take this course. I've been doing sigils for years, 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 way more than a decade before I came across. There is so much more to Gordon's way of doing sigils. Yes, if somebody was to put a gun to my head and say, like, I need to learn sigils quickly and the best. Gordon White, his sigil course on his premium membership, that is it. It just has a breadth of detail that is staggering. Do you have anybody, Keats, that you uh, you suggest? Well, you know, I'd say this is that we actually, in the idea of the hyper sigil, we, the hallowed, the magical kind of art collective international group that I'm working with is actually doing our second audio sigil. Okay. And it's based about every, every person that contributed as kind of a dynamic miniature model mm-hmm. of their praxis through sound. Right. And we'll be, I'll be tethering it together. And so there's another big, Audio sigil, yeah. So sigil, sigils mean so much more to me in the kind of the artistic form, mm-hmm. and we have a lot going on right now. I'm really excited Amazing. about about the new ones. Yeah, perfect, wonderful. Uh, there's so many other places to go to look for sigils, guys. Uh, even friend of the show, Reverend Eric from Arnamancy Podcast, he's got a sigil Who? course. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, Eric, yeah, he's got a sigil course. He was talking to me about some some new uh, investigating that he's doing for for sigils and whatnot, and he might uh, he might spice up the sigil game a little bit. Uh, It sounded incredibly interesting, and if you were a fan of um, cryptography like Eric is, then that would probably be a course that you guys would want to take. So that's another another option. Check out Arnamancy's sigil course, but there's. Everybody has a uh, sigil course, seemingly, and they're all good. Here's the thing about sigils is that most of them are probably going to be pretty sweet. So I've given my suggestion. That's just my my two cents. Keats, that's it. That's sigils. You made it through. (laughs) It's only been Uh, two hours of recording. Holy shit. That's it? That was a pleasure. I could have kept going. But uh, (laughs) 
what my conclusion is of all of this is this sweet sentiment of trying to understand how to affect or transition into things using created symbols. Yeah. Like that's all it is. Yeah. And we the Hollow we do a lot of music and, and zines and everything that are these different ideas of sigils, literary sigils audio sigils it can be very kind of annoying <laughs> with how we're talking about it but that's really what it is <laughs> it's we're all coming together to put legs and arms to this creature that is a brash overstatement of what we're doing magically so wonderful where can people find uh, your podcast and we the hallowed so my podcast is prag magic that's prag magic with a k dot mm-hmm. com the collective is we the hallowed h-a-l-l-o-w-e-d dot org and my audio sigils my music and stuff which is the intentful side of making an audio sigil is dakotaslim.net nice and yeah perfect wonderful i don't have a i don't have a grand little um firework to end this episode but i can just say do them really that's it for many of us, the, the the winds of desire are hard to feel. It doesn't mean that it's not there. How you come to feel them is something that you, yourself, you need to figure out. But when you do, fix your sails and they will take you to where you have to be. A place where want and need are indistinguishable from, from each other. And listen, listeners, Douglas is an invaluable source <clears throat> for all this. I really appreciate him. I appreciate everything he's doing. You have stumbled onto the right podcast. Oh, stop it. Keep listening. No, I I really do. I I really enjoy you, man. Oh, It's been fun. (laughs) I had a blast. So for people interested, they can head to whatmagicisthis.com. There you will find a way to subscribe to my podcast. Hey, I'm not going to list them. If they've got podcasts, I'm there. (laughs) All of them. Uh, Also on my webpage, you can find my Twitter account. I'm using it quite a bit. Somebody once said that I might be trying to go for the Gift King uh, recently, but... uh, (laughs) That was me. Nice. Uh, But... uh, Uh, I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I'm on Instagram. I'm updating that. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll do something on Instagram. I still don't really know how it works, but there you go. Uh, Facebook, I don't really use too much. So if you try to contact me through Facebook, uh, I'll get to it at some point. Uh, Don't don't stay on there expecting a response. I maybe check it once a day. Uh, Maybe. Also on my website, you're going to find some show notes for each and every episode. I go out of my way for these show notes, guys. They're brilliant. Schwaller de Lubitsch will be on there. Mitch Horowitz will be on for this episode. I'll have some chaos magic stuff up there. There's going to be a lot for this episode. <laughs> there's so much to talk about with sigils, and there's so many directions that you can go. Uh, if you love the show, please leave a review or tell a friend about my podcast. That's, I think, the more uh, advantageous thing to do. Uh, tell a friend. If you enjoy it, chances are they might as well. I'm not heavy on woo, although I talk about like a lot of really strange things. Magic is real to me. It really is. And I think a lot of us know this. Tell your friend. Spread the word. And if you leave a review on, say, iTunes or something like that, just so you know, I've cast a little spell. So if you leave, the, leave a little review for me there, um, you will get... Um, uh, a winning lottery ticket. I'm just kidding. I did, I've not done that in any way. She, that's not how magic works. Uh, or is it? You never know. But <laughs> that's it. Keats, thank you so much for being on. I love your podcast as well. I love all the work you did. And again, all of the kind words that you've said. You were one of the first people to really reach out to me. And, and really, as soon as you mentioned the word coyote, I was like, 
I'm going to be friends with this man. Yes. It's like, I know this you, person already. You gave me an Orphic hymn to sing yeah. at the last full supermoon mm-hmm. of 2020. Yeah. I appreciate you, Douglas. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Keats. <laughs> it's greatly appreciated. And uh, guess what? we got to end the show with the post-show quid pro quo. Are you ready? So a lot of times I like to stay on topic with this one. I'm not in this one. I'm going to go it's completely different. Keats, what is your favorite myth? Oh, that has to be the coyote, right? Yeah. You already kind of named it. Actually, you know what? I would say the Anasazi myth of the, how the world became right. itself and a great flood. And I, I hearken back to it a lot. And, you know, the spider weaves the sky. And I can I can go off and off on this shit. I, uh, God, I, I don't have, I don't think one myth, but I think the coyote, and we talked about this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, is is our trickster god, and he's the one that kind of faked right the world into existence. Yeah, at his beckon. Yeah, right. I love yeah. I love coyote. I, I read recently. I, I sent you a little link about uh, Barry Tolkien, who was a, uh, right. was a professor of uh, mythology and anthropology, and uh, he was doing. I think it was with the Navajo. Uh, he was working with the yeah. Navajo tribe. And uh, they were telling him stories, and he recorded them in what was called the Yellow Man tapes. And he right. he promised the the Navajo that he was with that he would only play them in the months that were fortuitous for Coyote. Like he would only in his classes, and he stuck to that to the end. He respected them so much that this is what they did. And another interesting story is that uh, one of the shaman, because he was like, "Oh, the Coyote is all about the trickster." And then the shaman uh, says, "Like yes, yes, but it's about other things too, Barry." And Barry goes, "What? What are what? you? Ta- what are you talking about?" He says, "Coyotes about witchcraft." But if I tell yes. you these, if I tell you these things, know this. And Barry leans in closer and he says, "Somebody is going to die if I tell you this." And <laughs> Barry went. Uh, he uh, he let Barry know. Very soon, bad things happened. Hmm. But, uh, well, I wish I had more time to read uh, some of the folklore, but the coyote and the thunder knife yeah. from the Anasazi is is probably my favorite. Brilliant, I love it. And uh, it's haunting, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's you know the coyote's most human folkloric idea, yeah, ever, especially for people that are messing with magics. <laughs> I think the coyote is is it. Yep, so. find the coyote. Perfect. Keats, thank you yeah. so much for being on the show. This has been absolutely wonderful, and I could talk for at least another three and a half hours. <laughs> I welcome it. Let's not make this the last. Oh, no, definitely Thanks. not. You know for a fact that that is not going to happen. So <laughs> uh, that's the show, everybody. So uh, thank you for listening. Please go to Keats's uh, Prague Magic podcast as well as wethehollow.org at Dakota Slim. So please check out all of Keats' work. There's a lot, and it's not just Keats on We The Hallowed. There's plenty of other. My last guest, Eric Miller, uh, he's doing stuff with We The Hallowed. There's quite a few places to go for, for We The Hallowed. So. Yeah, Eric Millar is uh, my sweetest uh, collaborator. He's a great love guy. He's and great... I loved uh, Alan Moore episode. You guys did fantastic. Did you tell you where he recorded that? Because he's got a young, uh, he's got a youngin in his life. I know it's his, it's actually Orion's birthday today. Yeah. Is it actually? Yeah. Happy birthday, birthday, Orion! That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Happy birthday, Orion! Yeah. 
in the car, right? He recorded his episode in the car, in the front <laughs> yeah, seat of his car. Yeah, he did that with me too. I think we were recording. We recorded that longer than this recording. I think that that recording was close to two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. He told me. I love yeah, that. Yeah. What a good meeting of minds. Yeah. I loved it. It was brilliant, yeah. and I love that. But Keats, thank you so much, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been What Magic Is This Podcast. Please stick around. We're going to talk about more of this crazy, weird shit that you all love so much, because I know you do, and I also know you know it's real. So with that, stay luminous. We'll talk at you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>